Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching with TBA rabbinic intern Rachel Cohn. Indeed, I'm going to be speaking, well, not di- not directly about Nadav and Avihu, but um, the the aftermath of the episode that happens with them um, related to Aaron's response, which, you know, many people speak about the, the, this noting that Aaron was silent after, after this, you know, seemingly bizarre calamity happens with his son. So before we get to looking at that piece in the text, um, I wanted to just ruminate a bit on silence in general and to think for ourselves, question one, if you're somebody who, who is often, whose response to certain things is often silence or in a group of people, if you are somebody who tends, you know, tends towards silence um, and whether or not it's common for you when you do choose to be silent, why, what, what causes you to be silent at times that you, that you do that. So couple, couple responses about either of those. Larry. You do realize the strange nature of your asking the question. You're asking people here why they're silent. <laughs> when they're silent. So I am not the silent type. So I'm going to give an unusual, a different answer perhaps, which is the only times that I am silent is when I'm truly uncomfortable. Um, or on those occasions, which would have been like right now, when I realize I should step back and the word is simsum, make mm-hmm. myself small to allow others to take my place. Mm-hmm. I recognize, you don't have to tell me, I don't do that enough, but that's a good reason to be silent. So great, making space for other people to to fill the space. Okay, great. And yes, it did occur to me the sort of irony in me asking as I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking, well, if nobody wants to respond, that's also fine. That's an answer unto itself in this case. <laughs> Anybody else? I can answer, I guess. I'm, I think I tend to be silent. Well, um, certainly in group settings, I tend to be silent. And uh, I think there's something about like level of safety, I feel, the level of comfort. And, um, you know, if, if other people are, um, just, oftentimes other people just seem to, you know, know more about the subject than I do. So I <laughs> just be quiet. Right, right, um, right again, kind of sometimes a perceived, like, there must be somebody else who is, is meant to be speaking now. Like maybe it's not, you know, maybe I'm not the one who, who needs to fill the space. Um, okay, great. Thank you. Joanna, you had a thought also? Um, yeah, there, there are times when I go silent when, um, sort of when I feel like, oh, like this requires a little more thought or contemplation, like, or, you know, a little bit more of a measured response and like, you know, maybe hold off and like process that a little bit before speaking. Um, And then um, I very much related to what happened to Aaron, I think for the, really for the first time in my life when my father passed away, which was my first close relative, the first relative that I, you know, sat Shiva for, who passed away. And um, I live in Canada, and um, the rest of my family is in the US, and I wasn't able to get home for the funeral in these crazy upside down times. And it struck me really, like I had a couple of close friends who would call, you know, 
to check on me or to say hello. And like more so than in a shiva when you're quiet, like to be quiet on the phone, those moments really stuck out for me. And the friends who knew also that there was nothing to say to me in those moments, like that there was nothing that would comfort me. But just that like silence on the phone, like knowing somehow that they were on the other end and were willing to like wait out that couple of minutes in silence. It was kind of a profound silence. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That, I mean, I think that definitely resonates with what, you know, what we'll be speaking more with about our own, particularly in response to grief um, and that those pauses, you know, can, can have great depth, even if, if there's no, no audible sound, it doesn't, you know, it does it's, it shouldn't be confused with emptiness that it has its own um, space to hold. Um, Beautiful. So, I mean, I'm sure there's for each of us, our, our own reasons and unique meanings that, that vary in why we might be silent. But I think that any of the things that you mentioned could potentially apply to this situation that we see with our own. And I think it's interesting always to kind of try and put ourselves in the shoes of biblical characters to see ourselves in the stories and see, try and understand perhaps a bit more about their motivations. So, um, so if you have the source sheet, we're starting with the um, just the section from Leviticus to to show what we're where we're zooming in. Um, and if you're navigating in a humash, what we'll be looking at is Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. So what we see in this section is Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu, they take they each take a fire pan, put this this fire in it, and it's called, you know, it's it's called a strange fire or a foreign fire. It's not exceedingly clear exactly why. I mean, there's tons of commentaries about what they did wrong, but in the shot of the text, it just says it's, you know, it's a stranger alien fire um, that God had not, had not commanded to them. And then they basically just get gobbled up by a fire from God and, and die. Then, you know, the next thing we hear is Moses said to Aaron, this is what God meant when he said, uh, through those near to me, I show myself holy and gain glory before all the people. So, you know, in delivering this news to him, even that it's not exceedingly clear if, if Aaron already knew or if that word from Moshe was him delivering the news, but that's all we hear Moshe say to him. It's not exactly what you would imagine someone coming to say to a, a grieving parent. Um, and then the only response we see in the Hebrew, it says, Vayudom Aharon, usually translated as, and Aaron was silent. Then we go on to kind of talking about some other laws about sacrifices. And that's kind of like the end of that piece of the narrative, more or less about like the Nadav and Avihu thing directly. Um, so there's a lot to read into what that silence could mean from Aaron. So before we look at a couple commentaries speaking about that directly, I wanted to show all of you, if you have the source sheet, a couple different instances of what this, what this verb, you know, that in his case, it's vayidom, the, the root is actually dalid mem mem, it's kind of a funky root, um, that it could be translated as silent, but it can be a little more vague than that. So I wanted to kind of flush that out before we look at what it could have meant for in our own case. So if you are on the source sheet, we're looking at 
the book of Amos, chapter 5, verse 13. Um, so it says in the Hebrew, Lachain Hamaskil Be'etahi Yidom Ki Etraahi. For for sure, at a time like this, a wise or prudent man would be silent, for it is an evil time. So in this case, it does pretty literally mean be silent. Um, though interestingly, I think you could apply. You know, we might imagine our own being able to kind of say something similar in response, saying like, at such a time like this, it's it's the wise response to be silent. Like how else could someone respond? But point being, this is one example in the book of Amos where that same verb form does seem to mean in a pretty, you know, simplistic way, silence as we would understand it. In the book of Joshua chapter 10, so that's the next source on the sheet, if you have the sheet, or I mean, people probably can't jump around that quickly if you're if you're in a in a Tanakh, but it's from um, the book of Joshua, chapter 10, verse 12, where so this is where they're going into battle, and Joshua speaks to God and says, Stand still, sun at Gibeon, and moon in the in the valley. So so Joshua actually succeeds in stopping the sun and the verb that's used to talk about the sun, it says, um, Shemesh Begivon Dome. So that in this case, it's not that the sun was silent, but it basically pauses, it holds still. So I thought that was interesting to kind of just hold the, those two meanings, not to say these are the only meanings that appear in Al-Tanakh, there's a lot of other kind of references in, in other prophets. But I think it's interesting to consider that as another possibility for just literally what was happening. It may be that he was silent verbally, but it could be, you know, in a, in a different way, more broadly, you could interpret just like he paused, he processed, he, he stopped, you know, in, in, entirely stopped, held still like the sun in that Joshua case uh, before he could do anything else. Okay, so that's just kind of a bit of background on what that verb about what Aaron did in response could have meant. And then now we'll go back to the story at hand and, um, and read. Rachel. Yeah. Sorry. I just, I, I have a question that I don't, I don't actually know the answer to it just dawned on me, but maybe yeah. you do, or maybe someone else does. Um, is the word demama like called demama daka the same root? You know, I would think that it would be, but when I did a lexicon search for the verb, it didn't, it didn't come, come up. up. So I'm uh, sure I, I'm, I'm just not a, I, I, I'm a grammarian in this kind of way. Like, I don't remember what roots go with which, but it would be interesting if it was the same root because the way that we translate that verse is so different, right? That, that the, the cold mamadaka is this small, uh, kind of quiet, silent voice, as opposed to being completely stopped, or as you were saying, like taking a moment or silent altogether. Anyway, just a just a thought. I wondered if you had come across it. it you know, it it very well might be, and it it certainly has a very similar meaning. And it's yeah, it's close yeah. enough to drosh it for certain. Um, <laughs> but now I'm gonna afterwards, I'll have to go look that. Yeah, up. I'm really curious. I'll okay. try to remember to ask Rabbi Klingfeld. Will know. Yeah. I'll try to. If ask anyone him. knows the specific verse that that is, I um. I'm happy to try and look it up speedily <laughs> because it's it's after sundown um, here. But so, yeah, Juliana. 
Uh, so I probably could find that verse in a, in a minute or two. But um, talking about Rabbi Kligfeld, he spoke recently about the relationship about um, Bet Vav Shin, Bosch, and Bashash, Bet Shin Shin, and that they were from the same root. So this seems to be the same pattern, right? Dalid Vav Mem, and then the doubling of the consonant, you know, called Mama, Dalid Mem Mem. So if that holds, then the answer would be yes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not necessarily universally true. And often if there's like a Vav, it, it, sometimes the Vav is in the root, but sometimes it's a placeholder for a different letter. I mean, not to like bore, not to bore everybody with too much grammar, but, um, <laughs> but you're right. But like, it's, it's part of a similar pattern like that, where there's actually like roots that can a- appear in different forms. Larry, you, you we, want to say something. Well, are, are we talking about, uh, I didn't realize it was a verse from, from, from um, Tanakh. Are we talking about the, the, the part of the Unatana Tokef? Yeah. Okay, the shofar gadol itaka, the kol de mama daka yishama. Yeah. The translation that I have here, this is from a, um, this is from Rabbi Sachs's Koran Sidur, Maxor, uh, is a great shofar sounds, and a still small voice is heard. Yeah. It, the, the, so, so the de mama there would seem to be the same from the, would be the, exactly the same word that you're talking about. Yeah. I just had never put those two things together. So I just didn't know if it was the same or if it's, or if it was just coming to me as, you know, a homophone in a certain way. Interesting. But, but is that coming from, is this extracted from a verse in Tanakh somewhere? So it is. So yes, sorry. I did a quick search and um, it, so in one Kings 19 verse 12, called the mama, we read, um, after the earthquake, there was fire. God was not in the fire. And after the fire, a soft murmuring sound. So it's talking about mm-hmm. it's this. Um, Interesting that it's also with fire. Okay, I'm taking yeah. you way off course. No, I'm no, no. It's, it I... is. Long story short, it is the same verb. And okay. um, I think maybe I had only searched before in. I don't know why I didn't find it before, but it is this. It is. No, it's great. M&M, and it, it does. It is showing up as silence in my search thingy. So. Bravo, very, Rabbi Schatz. Um, I'm very excited to use this for high holidays. It's a new thing now. I'm oh, absolutely. Um, okay. <laughs> so, um, so yes, even more connections for what, what, uh, oh, I mean, like, I'm, I'm also just thinking, like, thinking about what you're saying and, you know, like, was Aaron actually better able to connect with God? Like, if Aaron right. is somebody who connects with God as Kol Mama Daka, when he was silent, did that actually better enable him to connect with God? Because as we'll see, some of the commentaries say he was actually like, you know, disengaging. Mm -hmm. And that was his way of showing it. But that Mm -hmm. this could be like an alternate to saying, yeah. Okay. Very cool. Okay. Uh, Larry. Very simple question. I mean, it seems to me to be absolutely unclear if Aaron's silence is in response to Moshe's inept comment to him. Or whether his silence is silence after the death of his two sons. It's right. It's among the the things that's unclear. Um, And like I said, it's also unclear if when Moshe is coming to say this, as you put it, inept line to him, did he already know his sons had died? Or like, it's, it's inept either way. 
but um, but it's not totally clear. The commentaries tend to read it as in response to his sons, as we'll as we'll talk about in a second. So let's let's kind of jump into it. But I think you're absolutely right. There's room to say that it could just be him saying like, my brother was you know like I didn't have anything nice to say to Moshe, so I didn't say anything at all. Um, okay, so we're gonna read something from what's called Shnei Luchota Brit. It's a commentary from a, a mystic in the 1500s. And, um, and he says, Aaron received a reward for his silence, the silence in chapter 10, verse three, when God spoke to him exclusively in chapter 10, verse nine. We are to learn from this that we must accept with love what appear to be God's strictures and afflictions. So he's kind of, he's making an argument about the text, which is that if you look a few verses on, if you have a humash with you, I didn't put this on the source sheet for the sake of saving space. But basically, a, a few verses later, God talks about you can't be drunk when you're doing temple service, basically. So some people think that God said that to Aaron specifically because Nadav and Avihu were drunk when that happened. And he was sort of reminding him, saying that's like why it happened. And I'm making clear this is a rule. You shouldn't do it in the future. But what what with this commentary, which is based on Rashi and based on other Rashi is based on other midrash, is kind of like a chain of, of commentaries along these lines, saying that um, it was actually a reward that God was like, oh, I'm going to give you, only you, Aaron, these specific pieces of knowledge about the priesthood, because usually it goes through Moshe, like God would speak to Moshe, and then Moshe would deliver the instructions to Aaron. So what kind of reward you would consider it when it's like, ooh, I got to hear the mitzvah first straight from the source. That's kind of what he's suggesting. But then he's making another argument, more kind of theologically saying that this shows that when, you know, God hands you a hardship that you're supposed to accept it with love and that, you know, implied you're going to get a reward for that. So any, do you think that makes like, makes sense for what our own was doing and how does that sit with you like do you think our own was accepting with love what god the, the experience god had handed him i'll speak like yeah. no i mean how could he right <laughs> i think I, I think it's for us to imagine that that could have been aaron's response I guess there is a possibility. I think it's hard for us as humans who know what it means to lose to imagine that that could have been the way that he felt. Absolutely. Right. Um, that's certainly how it strikes me as well. Um, let's read one more. Let's read Ramban's comment, which is very different in tone and well, maybe, you know, can, can speak about whichever of them is, is speaking to you after, after that. So what Ramban says is, when it says Aaron was silent, this means he had cried aloud, but then he became silent. Perhaps the meaning is as in the verse, and he's quoting something from Echa Lamentations, let your eyes not tidom. So that's a meaning cease there, like don't cease crying. So that the the word there is closer to how it was used in that Joshua example, meaning like stop, pause, hold still. Um, so in this case, it means like Aaron had been crying, perhaps profusely, like we don't know, he may have been wailing and screaming. And the Vayidom is just to say that there was also a moment when he stopped. So thoughts, does this, does this one resonate more with you, seem more 
human? Um, it seems more plausible that that would be his response. And, yeah, for sure. In some, as someone who's you know, heard that news and is grieving. Right. And I also appreciate in this case that there, you know, it's, it's linked to, of course, a, an entire book basically that's about grieving mm-hmm. and kind of draws a connection between this, this like localized grief that Aaron was experiencing and the, the very communal grief that's expressed in, in the book of Echa. Mm-hmm. Um, so to bring in kind of another modern <clears throat> perspective, I brought a couple paragraphs from this longer drosh from Rabbi Eliezer Diamond, who's a, a teacher at JTS. And um, I'm wondering if there's a volunteer who would like to read the, the portion I put on the source sheet, if you have it. <laughs> getting too much silence today I mean I'll, I'll read it because I actually have a thought about it sure. there is I believe another possibility as well perhaps Aaron's silence was a form of disengagement in at least two senses the first may have been an emotional reaction beyond his control the horror of what had occurred was so great that Aaron's mind may have shut down thereby blanking out what had befallen his sons Perhaps it was the only it was only in this way that he could bear the pain of his loss at that moment. It may also be, however, that Aaron's silence was a means of disengaging from his persona as priest. How difficult it must have been for Aaron to serve God in the very place where the same God had taken the lives of two of his children. Aaron continued his holy work, but there was some part of him that was now silent that did not turn to God in prayer and praise it as it did in the past. The fire that killed Aaron's sons had wounded him profoundly as well. I'm going to take the prerogative to mention. So at the end of the passage, Moses chides Aaron for not partaking in the offering. And his answer is something like, you really think that's what God wanted wanted from me on this day when I suffered this loss? You imbecile brother of mine. I don't, that's a interpretive reading. Right. <laughs> So that, that silence um, could be many things. But I'm, I also, forgive me, but I also had a different thought that maybe what Moses was saying to Aaron was the formulaic thing that you said in those days to someone who just suffered a loss, like Hamakom Yenachemachem. And just like in the house of a Shiva, you don't approach the Avel until they invite you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Avel is not obliged to say anything whatsoever. So when you say, oh, you're so-and-so that was passed on, was wonderful and all these good things, and God is with God, and then people get in, you know, wrap themselves up in all sorts of things which are embarrassing, um, and some, they don't realize how they're heard, the, 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 the best approach is just to be silent. And in fact, I even think that that's in, you know, one of the... Um, guides about what to, you know, on the uh, Rabbi Lamb's book, or maybe this the conservative book, about mm-hmm. what the decorum, mostly it's, it's telling you what to do when you are visiting, but there are some things there, some things in there that tell you what you're obliged or not obliged to do when you're actually a mourner. Right, right, and it, it's almost, you know, Moshe could have taken a few hints from that silence. <laughs> um, exactly. So um, I, uh, there's, I mean, there's so much more we can talk about. I want to make sure that we leave time for 
rest of our davening and wrapping up our experience tonight. Um, but I wanted to, the, the, last, the last piece I put on the source sheet is the well-known verse from, from Kohelet, from the book of Ecclesiastes, saying basically there's a time for this, a time for that, a time for silence, and a time for speaking. So in any of these interpretations, really, I think we've, you know, we've made a case that, that it was important, you know, at least important, justified for Aaron to be silent in that moment. That was a time for silence. And I think at an even more profound level, Aaron was, you know, like that silence was playing an important role for him, marking a transition, perhaps connecting him to God. I mean, I think there's tons more we could say with that Koldama Daka reference. Um, but but long story short, like it was a time for silence. There's not a lot of narrative in the book of Leviticus. And for whatever reason, it is noted here that, that you know, like our own silence, it, you know, takes up space there. And that in and of itself, I think can be instructive for us thinking about how to res- how our own response to hard news, to mourning, to any kind of grief and hard times. And, um, you know, as Larry was kind of nudging us, perhaps teaching us all a lesson um, too. And so, so may we feel empowered to embrace the silence wherever we feel we need to hold on to it. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.